0: Listen to the show and people these dudes bring If you didn't know, it's an orange and blue thing Hope to win the championship in a few rings We're talking baseball It's an orange and
1: blue thing Walk off if the game's tied like shoestrings It's a Mets podcast, orange and blue thing Beat the other team with defense in a few swings LFGM, it's an orange and blue thing
2: What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back. Season 4, episode 16 of Orange and Blue Thing. This is our season 4 finale, and it is a special one. Unfortunately, the Mets are falling short when it was easier than ever to make the playoffs. Well, I shouldn't say easier than ever. A lot of factors this season, a lot of uh, weird scenarios and rules changes and uh, extreme circumstances. But unfortunately, even though MLB is allowing 16 teams to make the playoffs, the Mets are are probably not going to be one of them. What like not. a 1% chance at this point. I am Darren Meehan, and that is Julia Quadrino. Hello. We have Mr. David Wright. You ever hear this guy, David Wright? Who? This guy, David Wright. You ever hear of him? No. does not ring a bell. We have the captain, David Wright, and I think that anyone who knows Julia probably <laughs> knows that she might be one of, if not the biggest David Wright fans out there. I know a lot of people don't like to say, um, you know, compare fandoms, but I think anyone I know... <laughs> Anyone that I've met, you might be the biggest Dave right there is. This is equal
1: parts like an honor and humiliating, so it's fine. I wear it like a badge of honor. Well,
2: we'll see in a second when David pops on with us, but I think that David might know you. You guys have <laughs> met a couple times uh, <laughs> here and there, see. but we got a couple housekeeping notes to hit on before we get to the captain. Uh, definitely hot, head on over to uh, get.coorslight.com. Com. Even though the Mets season is basically over, the postseason should be starting soon. And if you're like me, you're probably gonna be sitting down on the couch watching them. So uh, definitely hop on over to get.coorslight.com, type in your address, and check out all the different options there that you could get delivered right to your home or wherever you want to get your beers delivered. Um, shoemaker, my buddy Brian Shoe. Happy birthday, Shoe! Who said actually? Yesterday, Shoe texted me, "Tell David I said hi." So that's from that's from Shoe. Uh, <laughs> his 40th birthday was yesterday, so yes, his party's King. coming up. Definitely bring in a couple cases of Coors Light over to the Shoe household uh, this weekend. So Love that it. should be fun. Thanks to Coors Light. Unfortunately, the season didn't unfold how we planned. But next year, uh, if and when the Mets are back Fingers to allowing eyes. fans in the ballpark, we got some big stuff planned with Coors Light. And, uh, of course, we have to give a special shout-out to our friends at Dugout Mugs who have something really cool that came out today. Oh. Check out this T-shirt. And if you're not watching live, you're listening afterwards, go to dugoutmugs.com. Check this out. These are limited edition, and they're actually oh. on sale. So they're $24.99 right now. The bottom of the t-shirt is a bottle opener. No way. It's got a built-in bottle opener in the shirt. So definitely go check that out. I know the, the supplies are super limited. And special for the October month coming up uh, You know, oh, next spooky. week is these special Love Mets. Love it. They're doing every team, but uh, Sugar Skulls. So That's cool. These are on sale, $64.99. Today, they're a $39.99. Great special offer. Dugout Mugs, great small business out of Florida. They got the MLB license, the MLBPA license, Hall of Fame license. And don't forget to use our special 30% off promo code on dugoutmugs.com slash O-A-B-T. You don't have to type anything in. You just go to that link and you'll automatically get the discount. So check them out. Dugout Mugs, great friends of the show. And um, we appreciate their support. So without further ado... I think we gotta get to the man himself and hopefully all of our audio issues work perfectly. Are our mics here. working? Our Can mics, someone confirm? Our mics cool. are working. <laughs> There's Mr. David Wright out there in California, who really need, needs no introduction, but I'm gonna, you know, hit him Did with a one little anyway. Spiel anyway. So this Mets legend is just a couple years removed from the ball field. He leads the team all-time offensively in numerous categories, should have his number retired soon enough, Hell uh, yes. Uncle Stevie, if you're watching, and has a book titled The Captain About to Drop on October 13th. He's our friend and yours, the one, the only, number five, and soon-to-be father of three, yes. David Wright. What's up,
0: David? What's going on, guys? What an what a introduction. <laughs> yeah, was, that, was that good? That was excellent.
2: I know it's 9 a.m. there on Cat in in Cali time, a little after nine o'clock. But I am going to crack open this beer. Hopefully that's okay with you.
1: Let's go. Go for it.
2: So um, as I take a sip here.
1: Yeah, go for it. Cheers. So oh, is that the cold or is it lukewarm? What no, you got this
2: working? is cold. We, listen, Ice cold. Coors Light drops off cases of beer here, and uh, our our fridge is always stocked. But uh, let's let's get into the book. How, how much, actually, how much
0: time do you have? <laughs> let's, let's get that I, way. Let's see. Let's go. As long as you guys are asking good questions, I'll answer.
2: Well, you know what? We got a couple pages here of you know notes. Julia and I were going back and forth, and I feel like Julia knows you so well that she might be able to answer the questions for you. She's read your book twice already. I'm I'm, again humiliating. I'm getting through it. You know, we got a couple early copies here. Shout out to the publishing company. Thank you for that. But uh, so yeah, the book is called The Captain. You uh, were named the fourth Mets captain, and. um, Besides the 2013 All-Star game, when you had the C on your chest, you decided not to put the C on your chest. Is there a reason behind that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when I thought about it, um, you know, it might sound kind of goofy, but I think the uniform is called that for a reason. You know, I don't think that, you know, there's something that, you know, you never want. For me, I never like to kind of stick out and kind of, you know, see, look at this thing on my chest, you know, I'm the boss, I'm the leader type deal. You know, it was always a kind of a group effort, you know, in my opinion. And I think that's what made us click or at least some of the better teams that I was on. That's what made us click is that we all held each other accountable. It wasn't just me telling people what to do. If I didn't do something right, if I didn't run out of ground ball, you know, somebody would get on me. And I think having that kind of accountability is what made things click.
2: So, and you know, it's crazy to think that 2015, I mean, that, that run and, uh, you know, guys came up a little short, um, but Michael Conforto was such a, you know, a young guy on that team. And now he's, you know, one of the vets already five years later, um, you know, he's the, he's the player rep and um, you know, I could see him maybe possibly being a future captain. If they, if they were to name one, would do you think he'd be high on your list for who, who would be the next guy?
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's got to happen organically. And I mean, you're absolutely right. Michael Conforto is one of my favorites. You know, when I was there, he was a younger player, but you could just tell. You know, he wasn't the loudest guy. He wasn't, you know, the most boisterous. But the way he carried himself and the way that he led, even as a young player, led by example. And those are the types of guys that, you know, younger players flock to. Um, so, you know, I think you you nailed it. I mean, between him and you know Jacob leading the pitching staff, you know, they they're uh, hopefully in the near future and the longer future, you know, you got two pretty good leaders right there.
1: Yeah, cool. So, I mean, yeah, you're talking about leading by example. And I know you personally, your entire career, you know, with the media, whatever, you're always this so well put together, kind of like this, (laughs) at least, you know, for us, you were. Um, But, you know, in the book, I love how you really kind of humanize yourself a little bit. You're talking about, you know, a lot of different situations where, you were so emotional, whether it was frustration, pain, or whatever about, you know, being moved to tears, which is something we definitely never actually saw. So I know you get asked all the time, what was your your favorite moment as a met your favorite game or whatever, but I'm kind of wondering if there were any games that come to mind that were more difficult for you, whether pain wise, emotionally, something you were going on off the field that the fans, maybe even your teammates wouldn't know was just not an easy game for you to play.
0: Yeah. I mean, off the field, um, you know, and that's one of the cool things about the book was that, you know, as a player, you don't really get the opportunity to enjoy kind of what you're doing at the moment because it's always, what do I have to do to get ready for tomorrow? Or what's the next challenge? And you don't sit there and, you know, look at what you did last night and kind of pat, pat yourself on the back and say, oh, man, I had a great game. You know, let's enjoy it. You know, it's always like, OK, who are we facing tomorrow? What do I have to do to get ready? So I think that was one of the cool things in writing the book was reminiscing a little bit. And seeing if Anthony DeComo did an incredible job, seeing if what I felt on the field kind of matched what Anthony was seeing from the press box. Mm -hmm. And even taking it a step further, um, my parents, they don't throw away anything. You know, it's like it's gross. (laughs) um, When I told them about the book and then I had to pick out a couple dozen pictures for the middle of the book, um, you know, I asked my dad, hey, can you sort through it? Kind of pick out some cool stuff and then I'll make the final decision and see what goes in the book. Well, a couple days later, I get, and of course, it's like FedEx Ground because my dad's too cheap to overnight it. But he, I get boxes of pictures from everywhere, from when I was born, being held by my grandparents who have since passed, and all the way up to when I was in the big leagues. You know, my mom running down to the on deck circle. You know, David, smile, it's your mother. You know, like taking a picture before I go up to to hit. So, you know, it's kind of cool reminiscing that way. And, and to answer your question more directly. You know, I think some of the tougher times I had when I when I lost my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I was fortunate to have a great relationship with them, and I think that's some things that, you know, I guess, fans or people don't see that. You know, you go through the same kind of adversity. Granted, you know, a lot of people go through greater adversity, and we are very fortunate to be able to play baseball for a living. But you know, it's tough to, kind of put that on the back burner and and focus on baseball when you lose a loved one or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're having a a rough go of it away from the field. As far as on the field goes, there isn't that bat that sticks out in my mind, and I believe it was either 07 or 08. I don't know the exact year, but it was one of the years where we um, couldn't get it done down the stretch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was fortunate where I was playing fairly well um, in in September, but it was against the Cubs, and there was a man on third with, and I think it was a tying run or the winning run late in the game, and, um, you know, I swung through a fastball that I should have hit and ended up striking out with a on third, less than two outs, and we lost the game. And for whatever reason, that at-bat sticks out in my mind um, late in the season where, you know, I didn't get the job done that, you know, still to this day, you know, when I think about some of the failures, and there's been quite a few on the field for me personally, that always kind <clears> of <throat> is in the back of my mind.
1: Mm, that's... I mean, it makes sense because I mean, that's that we all remember that season, but I can only imagine for you playing what that must be like. But um, back to that era in 2005, when you made that incredible diving catch into the stance in Seattle, which you talk about in the book. And uh, you talk about how after that play, some people close to you kind of warned you about playing too aggressively and playing too, you know, don't hurt yourself. Maybe don't go that hard next time. And how that kind of came back to haunt you too, uh, after you were diagnosed with that stress fracture for tagging out Carlos Lee at third. So you know, was that ever something that you think you could like turn off like that competitive instinct to just give your all? Did you ever, as your injuries got worse, did you ever have to kind of like tone it down a little bit? Were you capable of doing that?
0: See, that's a great question. I I wish I could have a little bit, but then I don't think, you know, I would have have given to the game what it deserved to be given. Um, You know, I kind of knew only one way. And um, you know, sometimes it was a little foolish, but that's kind of how I knew when I was, I couldn't do it anymore physically is when I sat there at third base and was hoping they didn't hit me the ball Mm. or hoping, you know, during those rehab games that I didn't have to dive or give that kind of effort because, you know, I was like, how long will it take me to get up? Well, I feel like the next morning, you know, it was like, you know, that's when finally my heart and my, brain matched up and said you can't do this anymore. Physically it's just impossible because I was just out there trying to get by and hope that they didn't hit me the ball so I didn't have to give that type of effort.
2: Mm. So, uh as I mentioned, Julia has read the book already a couple times and I didn't get to this portion yet, but she told me you talk about this. In 2006, I got it on the screen here. You can't see it, but the people at home can. GQ I guess comes calling. <laughs> And this question yes. came up. Sex cells, buddy. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Sex cells. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so, this GQ photo shoot with you and Jose, uh, you know, playfully, you know, he's got you in a headlock here all these different styles of you know showing off these outfits i don't know if you knew at the time but it's still up on gq's website it shows like you guys as models and then on the bottom it shows like all right jose's wearing this baseball jacket it's 999 dollars from hugo oh, wow. boss um like all this random stuff
1: but like jose looks like he just showed up like that yeah. like that just looks like his style
2: <laughs> was this was this super awkward for you and um you know how did this even come up Did they contact your your agents the mets themselves
0: Well, that's what, uh, okay, so first it came up, yes, they contact my agents, and, you know, of course, for me, it was a hard no, and, you know, my agent's like, dude, you got to do this, it's so cool, and I'm like, all right, and then Jose comes, and he's like, dude, you got to do this, it's going to be so cool, so I got peer pressured kind of into it, and then when I showed up, I knew it was not for me. (laughs) As soon as I saw the clothes that they were whipping out and I was like, okay, where are the adult, sizes? You know, <laughs> the adult size? You know, and Jose, uh, Julia nailed it is that that's the way he dressed. You know, for me, you know, it was like, he could wear anything and he's got a six pack showing, you know, me, I'm like, okay, do you got anything that can hide my love handles? <laughs> Cause you know, I'm not sure that's going to sell on, on GQ, but, um, you know, definitely got me out of my comfort zone. And, um, to this day you know, whether it's my brothers or my friends, about once a month, I get a picture of that, like, you know, just making fun of me, like on a group text or something. And, you you know, you remember this and I could see like the little bubble popping up and I already know what's going to be. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not one of my finer moments, but there's not many people that can say that they, you know, we're in GQ. So that I'll is that.
1: true.
2: Yeah. I actually, I did a sit down with Ron Darling last year And I think he was on the cover of GQ once, but same thing. He was talking about how it was kind of awkward. They gave him like this random suit to wear. And, you know, maybe it wasn't his style, but um, I don't know if he got to keep the suit. Did you keep any of these clothes?
1: You kept that headband. I know you did. I mean, do you think that I kept any of
0: (laughs) (laughs) those I mean... That's, that's the thing. It's like Ronnie got the suit and I got $900 sweatpants <laughs> yeah. so, and, a head, and a
1: headband. The headband, that's the best part. That's funny. But speaking of Jose, so I, I actually kind of noticed a pattern in reading this book that I hadn't really picked up on before, but because... Going back to the 2007 collapse and all that, you say that for like a few years afterwards, you kind of carried like an animosity towards the Marlins for basically all the shit they talked that series, which is completely justified in my opinion. But, uh, you know, then I kind of realized there were some patterns with the Marlins kind of kept popping up. And you talk about uh, that first game after you were diagnosed with a stress fracture and you're like depressed in the dugout and Josh Johnson is killing it for the Marlins on the mound. Um, Obviously, they took Jose Reyes away. Um, They, again, beat you again in 2008. So when it was your final game of your career and you just worked so hard to get back from everything, was it like, am I really freaking playing the Marlins right now? Does Peter O'Brien need to catch that ball? Was it that kind of thing? Or did you not even pick up on it?
0: That's what made it so cool was that, you know, and that's why New York's so great, is that where else are they going (laughs) to boo Peter O'Brien?
1: For the rest of his life, he's done.
0: For for catching that ball, you know what I mean? That's that's the cool part. But yeah, I mean, we, we definitely... You know, it's one thing, you know, they were our nemesis down the stretch in, in 07 and 08, you know, and, and that's fine. You know, they, they want to win the game. They want to finish strong, you know, but all the chirping that they did was something that I wish that we could have, you know, kind of turned the tables and really, you know, pounded them for it. Yeah. Um, You know, but with that being said, I mean, some of our we, we didn't get in many fights, but, you know, one of the bigger fights was with the Marlins when uh, Miguel Olivo charged third base and, and mm-hmm. Jose cowered behind Sandy, um, Sandy Alomar Sr. Calling you know, him out. And that's out. one of the things that we played on repeat quite a bit with Jose is that, you know, you got Miguel Olivo charging third <laughs> and you got Jose grabbing, you know, 60- or 70-year-old Sandy Alomar Sr. and pulling him in front of him. So, um, you know, uh, I wish that things would have ended a little differently, obviously, in 07 and 08. Um you know, but that's what made baseball so fun, especially in New York. You had, you know, whether it was the little rivalry with the Marlins or, you know, Philadelphia in both of our heydays or Atlanta when I first got called up or Washington towards the end. I mean, it just seemed like these series meant so much and there was so much on the line uh, in our own division.
2: I was there for that. I think that was the second to last The you were talking about the dust up with the Marlins. I think it was the second to last game of the season. John Mayne, I think, was pitching that day. And um, that that was wild. I remember, I had like the, if you remember the T-Mobile sidekick phone that took mm-hmm. the worst photographs yes. ever, had a picture of what that fight, you know, was. And it was just dust and people everywhere. Like like, yeah, it was like a renaissance painting at this point. it was great.
0: Um, yeah, it was like, I was on deck and it was a pitching change. So yeah, like, it was um, like
1: in between innings, right?
0: Well, I think it was a pitching change because Jose was on third right? Yeah. or maybe it was in between. I don't, I don't know. But either way I had my helmet on and I was kind of looking into our dugout, getting a scouting report or something. Then all of a sudden I see like the bull rush of the September roster running past me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what am I missing? So then, you know, obviously I joined the fray and, um, you know, there was, uh, I can't remember who it was, but there was somebody like going nuts and I tried to wrap them up and they were much bigger than me and just trying to wrap them up for the five minutes that I had them wrapped up. The next day I woke up all so sore. I was like, God, I got to hit the gym. You know, this is (laughs) unacceptable. I can't even wrap somebody up in a fight.
2: So, uh, Julie and I were both present, obviously, with the thousands of Mets fans there, um, you know, the Pete O'Brien night, but it was really obviously... Don't very-
1: <laughs> disrespect him like that and call it the Pete <laughs> O'Brien night.
2: <laughs> I was making a joke, obviously. But, you know, we were all there for you, and, um, you know, the, the months leading up to that night, you know, we were all so, you know, so behind you and, and really pushing and hoping that you were going to be able to go out on your own terms and really get back there to City Field. And um, even though that game for the Mets didn't really mean anything per se. The Mets are already out two games left before the end of the season. Um, What was harder? The, the, the battle back for you to get to that game or to sit through a 13 inning zero, zero game to finally give your speech.
0: I have my answer. I think, uh, well, honestly, one of the memories that I have from that game, and I think it was Julia or one of her friends, had a sign that said, "Olivia's got to go to bed."
1: It was past Olivia's bedtime. That was me. Yeah, That's
0: and uh, so you know, I got a big kick out of that. But they, they, you know, I, I went up to the SNY booth, then I went up and spoke, you know, did something with Howie afterwards. I stopped by, um, you know, my family and friends had a suite up near that level, so I stopped by them for a little bit. And this is all in full, full uniform. Yeah. So, like, I'm going through, the, like, the concourses and the elevators, like, full uni, like, Like Mickey dirty, Mouse walking through Disney. So, the night, it was weird because, like, I didn't want it to end because I knew that that was the end for me. So, it was like, you know, let me hang on to these dugout moments for as long as possible. You know, sitting next to Jake or, um, you know, having a good time with, with Stephen Matz or, you know, our bullpen catcher who was the best man at my wedding, Dave Racanello, came down and hung out with me in the dugout for a little bit. You know, just – you know, those are the types of things where I was like, okay, it is getting late. And I had a date, um, at Foley's for afterwards, you know, so I was like, you know, is Foley's going to close up on Cause I had my <laughs> first meal at Foley's after my first game. And, you know, the plan was to kind of have my last after my last game, you know, kind of bookend fitting. So, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want this to end, but you know, time to, to get a move on and <laughs> At the time, had an absolute meltdown going home, like where like one of those where she falls on the ground, and just <laughs> back bed, like kicking and screaming. So, um, but but yes, yeah, so it was hard to kind of know that that was the final chapter. Um, but I take a lot of pride in, in the work that I put in to get to that point. Like, it, you know, it was always my mantra that, and I know that ultimately it ended my career. But when I got the diagnosis for my back, it was my mindset, and my mantra that this isn't going to define me as a player or a person. And that's kind of what I woke up every morning and told myself that, you know, when it's all said and done, you know, whether it was, you know, he was an okay player, he was a, you know, a decent leader, he was a decent teammate, whatever the case may be, it wasn't going to be, oh, he felt sorry for himself and rolled over because of this diagnosis.
2: Yeah. I think it was almost midnight by the time you got your chance to come out there. And, um, you know, my wife was sitting next to me and maybe the 11th or 12th thing. She's like, I don't even care if they lose this game. And I was like, me either. I want it to be over with so David can, you know, get on with his, you know, get on with <laughs> that his That was my
1: first sign was um, hurry up. I just want to hear David Wright talk. Yeah, I
2: know you can't see it here, but I got on the screen. They they caught Julia. She's, she looks like she's in agonizing pain <laughs> holding up a sign. I was
1: literally screaming at the players. <laughs> yeah, says, Let's go.
2: Hurry up. I just want to hear David Wright. And this was in the top, the top the of the The top of, that top 12. of the twelve. My God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it was an incredible incredible moment for us as fans to be a part of and um you know maybe you can't see it but Julia's wearing a shirt that says this is love yes. because you said it a couple times and I don't know if if maybe you did you have something written down was that just all off the cuff or you want to hit on certain things
0: So I I'm am a good planner. I'm a I'm a big planner. I enjoy being prepared. And I sat there for you know a day or two thinking of what I would say. Cause they asked me to um, address the crowd afterwards and like I was at a loss for words and I sat there with a pen and a a little note card and tried to jot something down and nothing, nothing came down. And I was like, what am I doing? This, this needs to happen naturally. You know? So it was like, what am I going to feel at the moment? I don't know what I'm going to feel after my last game, you know? So just wing it. And I think it was probably one of the worst public speaking (laughs) events that i've ever had personally like i give myself probably a d really no but i wanted it to come from my heart and i wanted it to come naturally instead of pre-written and that's the, the i just kept saying it over and over again because that's what i felt at the moment that connection with the fans is real and i'd like to think that there was a mutual respect there and i know that i'd never i didn't always come through but i promise you that the effort was there the 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 passion and the love for that organization that city that those fans that was real. And, you know, for the speech, it was like, okay, let's just see what comes to my mouth. And it, that's what came to my mouth. And, and, you know, it might be a bad speech, but it think, was perfect. Think,
2: yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think it's bad at all because, you know, if you, if it, if it came off that way to you, I think that from the fans per- perspective, it didn't come off like that at all. It showed that you cared so much and that's why you were at such a loss of words. Right. So I wouldn't give that a D at all. No, and that's, thought, but.
0: And that's exactly what I felt. I mean, it was, I, I was literally, at a loss for words and just trying to soak in the moment at the same time. And it was, it was such a special night.
1: Yeah, no, that was awesome. And I don't want to start crying again. So I'm, I'm going to change the subject. Uh, so you mentioned you were sitting with Jake in the dugout that night. And in the book, you say you had some incredible pitching behind you at all different points of your career. But that Jacob deGrom is who you would want to give the ball to in like a must-win game. So They,
0: they would be in front of me, not behind yeah, me. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know what, I mean. it's, I'm still thinking, <laughs> whatever. It's fine, we're going to move on. Uh, I had too much Coors Light. Um, <laughs> uh, but so, you know, I don't really think anyone can say that Jacob deGrom is underrated anymore, but he definitely was for a long time. But who would you say was your most underrated teammate, whether it be by the organization, by the fans, who was somebody that nobody really grasped how important they were to the team's success?
0: Man, that's a good question. Yeah, you're full of good questions. Well, good,
1: because I just fucked up that last <laughs> sentence, so I redeemed myself.
0: <laughs> underrated. Man, um, you know, it'd probably have to depend on kind of the era okay. that we're talking about. I thought that to steal a line from Reggie Jackson, that for kind of that 016, Paul LaDuca was kind of the, the straw that stirred the drink. Okay. his His numbers were obviously great and he was an all star, but the way he kind of interacted in the clubhouse and the way that he led you know, I always thought was important for that team chemistry. Um, kind of later on, um, you know, and I, I don't think this guy probably gets enough credit for, and, and I think he would be the first to tell you that he had a very subpar year on the field, but the, the year that we went to the World Series, and he's a good friend of mine, Michael Kadire came in, mm. and he lost his job to Michael Conforto, a young Michael Conforto. And Michael Kadire took – Conforto under his wing, worked with him every day, took him out to breakfast every day, like really tried to groom him to be the the all-star and the, 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 the caliber player that he is now. So I would say that kind of um, teammate, that doesn't happen often. When you have a yeah. guy that's won a batting title and a guy that's been to all-star games that loses his job on a team that's going to the playoffs, going to the World Series, and then takes that guy that took his job under his wing and kind of prepares him for what's ahead.
2: So almost like um, when uh, Reyes came back, when the Rosario came up, and like, mm-hmm. they, they, you'd always see them together a lot. And I yeah. think that's, that, that's it's good to see. As a fan, it's definitely good to see. But um, obviously, if you're watching, listening afterwards, you know that we're talking to Dave Wright. We have a bunch of books. Actually, we have three books to give away. To the fans. So if you're watching live right now on Facebook, click the little share button. You'll be automatically put in the running to win a copy. You
1: really want to share the show today, guys. Absolutely. We drive it home show. every week, but today's the day.
2: If you're on Twitter, hit the retweet button. And if you're watching the replay afterwards on Instagram, just comment that you want a free copy of the book, and we will randomly select a person to get one for free. So thank you so much for that. Um, so we all know that uh the franchise, Mr. Tom Seaver, passed away recently. And you know, I don't know if the Mets posted this quote or, or where it came out, but you had mentioned that uh, you and Tom had a great relationship and you talked often, but it was almost never really about baseball. So, since there was many generations between your playing time, um, you know, how did the relationship start with you and, and Tom? How did that even? How does that begin?
0: That's um, you know, it's interesting because he was around quite a bit when I was a younger player, and I can't remember who it was, if it was one of our younger starting pitchers or, you know, one of our position players, but he called somebody by the wrong name. And from that, from that moment forward, we all called him Hall of Fame guy, you know, kind (laughs) of as a, kind of as a mocking that he didn't know somebody's name, you know, which is obviously acceptable. He's the franchise. He doesn't have to know everybody's name, but, uh, and he loved it. So every time after that, when I called him hall of fame guy, he'd get this big smile and, you know, make a joke about how between the two of us, we have whatever 300 some odd wins, you know, and he'd tell me how many home runs he hit in his career and stuff like that. And it was, you know, a great back and forth. And we'd probably talk, um, you know, once a month, once every six weeks during the season. And like you said, it was always about Hey, what are you doing away from the field to kind of keep your sanity? Because, you know, he understands he succeeded a lot more than everybody else did in the game, but he understood that failure was a part of the game and you had to get away from it somehow. And what were you doing in your spare time to kind of take your mind away from the failures of playing baseball? Um, And that was a good lesson for me because as a young player and even later in my career, I was never great at leaving everything at the ballpark. You know, I'd, I'd come home, I'd be moody because I had a bad game or we lost, you know, so that, those kind of lessons kind of stuck with me, but, um, you know, the one thing that I wish I would have done and he invited me numerous times that I never got the opportunity was he, um, he was a big wine guy up in Northern California and, um, he always invited me up there to, you know, try the wines, take a tour this and that. But he said, if you come, I'm going to give you a pair of boots and you're going to work. A yeah. <laughs> free. So I always wanted to do it. I wish I would have, um, you know, obviously, um, but, you know, a tremendous gentleman, tremendous player and, uh, you know, a guy that certainly had an impact on my career.
2: So speaking of, uh, you know, change the subject a little bit here, but not really uh, just a relationship with another player. We had Cliff Floyd on the show a couple of years ago, and uh, he said that he felt it was his job when you were the rookie to kind of lead you a little bit and, you know, whatever his words may be. But he brought up a story about how he used to pull his luggage through the airport. And you got to the TSA once and, and it, they opened it up and it was all like Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine, all this random stuff. And they're looking at you like, oh, this is what you're into. <laughs> um, so, you know, we heard, you know, through the grapevine, through the beat, maybe they weren't supposed to be there at the time, but, you know, it came out really quick about your incident or whatever with Noah Syndergaard and his lunch. Lunch gate. So since Cliff told us a story about you and this luggage, do you maybe have a story of you and one of the rookies that you were kind of taking under your wing that you might want to share with us?
0: See, I wasn't mean like Cliff. (laughs) Cliff was just mean-spirited sometimes, you know? But I'll tell you what, you know, carrying that luggage around got me some clothes that, you know, I remember he he bought me kind of my first custom suits and I saw the price tags on them and I was like, I'll carry whatever you want me to carry. whatever you want me to carry through TSA, as long as it's not, you know, going to get me arrested, you know, (laughs) give it to me, I'll carry it through TSA. But, um, you know, the, the Noah story is interesting because, um, you know, it was part of my responsibility. And I think a lot of the veterans responsibility to try to create a winning culture. And I think part of that was obviously supporting your teammates. And I think, you know, even Noah would tell you that he was in the wrong at the time, uh, the way that I handled it was poor. I didn't realize that the media was in our in spring training. The media comes in quickly after, and I think it was like an inter-squad game. So like we might've had a pitcher throw one inning. So after that one inning, he comes in and does his interviews in the clubhouse while the game's still going on. So, um, I didn't see them in there and I started getting on Noah kind of in a, what I'd like to think is like a big brother way. You know, I wasn't, don't think I was being mean by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, getting on him, you know, some tough love and, um, you know, the, the media was within an earshot, and then it became a big story. And I apologize to Noah, not necessarily for getting on him, but for, you know, doing it in front of the media. So um, but hopefully if that opportunity comes for Noah, he does the same thing, and, and he treats the young player the same way and gives him some tough loves and tell, tells him to get back in the dugout. So, you know, hopefully that's the case. Um, I'm just glad he didn't try to fight me because I don't think that would have been much of a – my career would have been much shorter.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's great. And I mean, that's definitely a story that Mets fans remember for whatever. Reason. I don't know, you throw out somebody's lunch, people just remember yeah, that. That's, but uh, that's,
2: not going to, that's not, it's definitely not, not going, going away, away, that one.
1: It's a Mets fan favorite. But uh, speaking of Mets fans, what made you so relatable and so easy to root for for everybody was that you grew up a Mets fan, which you obviously talk a lot about in the book. So, you know, I know you still have the front office role and you're only like a couple years removed, but I'm wondering if in any way you've transitioned back into being a fan at all. I know one of your teammates who has since retired, Ty Kelly, is very vocal on Twitter and has announced he is now a Mets fan. That's that's his new thing. Um, and he's been very frustrated this season. So I'm wondering, do, do you get frustrated when the Mets leave like 47 runners on base a game? Or is it still like, these are still my friends, I'm still, you know, still feel like a player kind of thing?
0: I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I catch myself, you know, a lot of the times because the games come on here mostly at 4 right. o'clock. So that's right. like big time father-daughter time. So a lot of the times I'm watching it on my phone or, you know, kind of getting updates through, through, through the app. But um, yeah, I catch myself like, you know, how do you miss that pitch? And it's like, wait a minute, I missed that pitch. A million <laughs> times. I know exactly how you missed that pitch. So um, yeah, I mean, I think you get caught up a little bit. The game looks a lot easier on TV. Trust me. Um, you know, cause I, I'm the same way, you know, I'll, I'll tell Jake, you know, how did you let Travis Darnot hit a homer off you? Like, you know, what are you doing? You know, how'd you let Wilmer Flores hit a homer (laughs) off you? Like you stink, man. And, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, on TV, the game looks a lot easier, but you know, when you're, when you have a split second to react in the box and you know, you got guy out there throwing a hundred with a 92 mile an hour slider, it it gets a little difficult, but yeah, I think there's a combination of remembering how difficult the game is, but also, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up a fan um you know I'm definitely a big fan of a lot of the guys in that clubhouse that I know so yeah there's, there's definitely a lot of fan in me mm.
2: so when so when COVID hit and you know the season got put on pause and you know they were talking about if they're going to get a season in at all we should be grateful to even see these 60 games but you know the the way that it went down with um you know Noah getting hurt Cespedes opting out Stroman opting out obviously you know the cards you know didn't fall where they may when the season started so um disappointment you know we are disappointed obviously the Mets aren't making the playoffs MLB made it easier than ever for as many teams to get in just be, basically be 500 and you got a shot um do you think that you know I don't know maybe the guys have told you this maybe they don't want to say it publicly not having fans in attendance or the way that, you know, there was a break with the COVID, there was a big break with the protesting. So they never had like a a stretch where it was just baseball. Um, Do you think that maybe it was hard for them to turn it back on and have the same intensity this year that they might in years past?
0: I mean, definitely an an odd year, um, you know, to say the least. But, you know, I, I think that every team had to go through that. So that, you know, to me, that's, you know, sounds more of like an excuse. And I think every player in that clubhouse would take responsibility for where they're at right now. You know, at least the ones that I know I will definitely take responsibility. Um, you know, sometimes as a player, you got to look at yourself self in the mirror and say, you know what, we didn't get the job done. Um, you know, and I hope miraculously they can they can pull it out, you know, these last few games and, and get some luck. But, um, I mean, I think to a man in that clubhouse, you ask them and they'll tell you point blank that, um you know, that, that that we should have been a playoff team this year. I don't think there's any question about that, and that they expected to be a playoff team this year. So, um, you know, I think the players, for their part, will certainly take responsibility. And, you know, hopefully this motivates them and, and drives them um, to accomplish what they need to accomplish next year. It's um, losing can sometimes be a tremendous motivating force for the right person, um, especially the homegrown guys. Um, You know, I know speaking about, you know, me coming up through the system, there was a certain sense of pride of putting that uniform on every day and that, you know, I wasn't a, you know, the guys that come through this system, um, you know, there's a different feeling, you know, when you take that field uh, with the organization that drafted you, developed you, gave you your first opportunity. So, um, you know, hopefully those guys take the losing personally and, you know, they come back next year more motivated and hungry than ever. So speaking
2: of next year, do you, do you see that the uh you know do you not do you want it to happen but do you think that this whole the DH is going to stick around the National League uh the man starting on second in extra innings you no. know 16 teams making the playoffs is this what base, the way baseball's going or do you think that this was just like a one and done thing
0: I don't know um it's been strange I'll tell you that I mean I'm I'm more of a traditionalist you know when it comes to the National League and you know with the with the the DH seems um you know, it just seems awkward. I don't know if it's right or wrong. Uh, you know, I do know that, you know, sometimes those 17, 18 inning games uh, can affect teams for weeks, you know, down the line. Um, I don't know if starting with a guy on second is the right mm-hmm. idea. I, I, it does. Again, I'm more of a traditionalist, so it's just, you know, again, not sure if it's right or wrong. It's just weird for me. Um, so I, I don't mean to tiptoe around the question, but, you know, I would say that, you um, you know, I'm probably more of enjoying baseball the way that, you know, I remember it, playing it. So um, who knows? So I, I don't know if you probably know more about this. Is this going to stick around? Or is it not going to stick around? Well, I don't, I don't
2: know. know. You know, I just was thinking in my head, uh, you're talking about X Training's games. Um, I really wish it wasn't played two years ago because your speech wouldn't have been at midnight. <laughs> you know what I mean? If that was the case, we would have been out of there about like ten fifteen.
1: That's for sure. No, absolutely. And going back to, you know, we're talking about fans in the stands next season, who knows? Um, big thing you talk about in your book is how competitive you are with your brothers and how you learned your competitive spirit for your brothers. So I'm going to take this opportunity to um, start some shit and say that you are the only right brother to have never watched a game with the seven line. So I'm just going to put that out there. You can do what you want with it when it's safe again. And the seven line is back out there. I'm just going to put that out there. So so one of,
0: one of my favorite pictures, uh, my youngest brother, Daniel, was on the shoulders. On Mike. On Mike. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's one of the coolest pictures that I've seen. He's so like, he looks so scary. He was too. leading
1: the like, chance. It was amazing. Like
0: he wants to fight somebody on the field. I'm like, don't you even think about running on the field. You know, because I will tackle you and say, <laughs> jail so don't even think about coming on the field he actually that's I think it was that game that, that was a playoff game
1: It was a world series game
0: yeah world series game um he gave away the tickets that I paid for for the world series like and least we pay like for for, for for I think we get one ticket I think this is throughout baseball right. so I think we get one ticket and then we can buy as you know as many that they have allotted to us So I bought like a good amount and they're expensive. I I can imagine. You know, so I give my brothers the the family tickets for the World Series and they're great seats. And after the game, I'm like, Hey, how'd you guys like the seats? You know, how'd you guys like the game? And my brothers are like, Oh, we we traded your seats to go sit in the outfield. (laughs) I'm like like, what?
1: It's a great time, David. You gotta see for yourself.
0: And they said we had to go sit, you know, with the real fans. We don't want to be with the families. We want to be able to, like, you know, have fun and enjoy the game and sit with the seven lines. So, uh, you know, I just shrugged my shoulders and said, you know what? <laughs> I
2: just I just tried to find that photo on Twitter. I couldn't find it, but it's a great one. Um, yeah, they also joined us in Atlanta. We were down in Atlanta, but when it was still Turner Field. Yeah. Um, yeah your brothers are great definitely a fun time they were ha- at the tailgate
1: too i had to explain to your youngest brother who demi lovato was because she was singing the anthem and i was the only one there who knew but she was great but um <laughs> anyway back to you we're talking about you being a mets fan so i know everybody always asks you you know the greatest moment of your career your favorite moment of your career is obviously the world series hitting the home run but that's as like a player i'm wondering if the answer would be different, maybe it's not your favorite moment as a Mets fan, whether that be before you played during your career or after where, you know, something just happened where you were like, I am so fucking happy. I'm a Mets fan right now. It's really great to be a Mets fan. Did you ever have that anything in particular?
0: I'd probably say the, the subway series in 2000. Okay. Uh, probably the single greatest moment for me as a Mets fan was the 911 Homer. Mm. Mike Piazza Homer. Yeah. Um, you know, those were things that, you know, stuck out for me, you know, at least, you know, but even, I guess, uh, smaller than that was growing up in right outside Norfolk, Virginia, where our AAA team was, it was always a treat for me to go see the AAA games, try to get some of the guys autographs, take pictures, and then turn on the TV a week or two later and see them playing for my favorite team, you know, in New York. And I was lucky my dad, was a police officer in Norfolk and a lot of his friends would, you know, kind of off duty, you know, work the games for security reasons. So I'd get like a foul ball here and there, get a chance to meet a player, you know, police officer, would go up to a player. Hey, will you meet my, you know, my bosses or my coworker's son? Yeah. I'm sure the guy probably didn't want to, but would go over, shake my hand, and give me an autograph, take a picture. So, um, you know, those were cool moments.
1: Yeah. So you're talking about your dad, you're a parent now, obviously, you've got a third baby on the way, which is super exciting, which by the way, I would obviously thank you for doing this, but I would also like to thank your wife, who is very pregnant. And like the past week, it seems you've been like locked in a room with a computer and she's been keeping two toddlers quiet when she probably can't even touch her toes. So thank you, Molly, because that's great. Uh, But but speaking of your kids, so you ultimately, you know, you wrote this book really for your kids to look back on, kind of see who their dad was in another life. So um, other than the knowledge of knowing that their dad was super cool back in the day, what is the most important lesson you kind of hope they take away one day when they read it?
0: You know, I hope that's the case, but I have a feeling I'm going to be the parent that they asked to stop at school, like two blocks from school and walk so they don't have to be seen with me. (laughs) You know, but when that happens, I'm certainly going to have somebody professionally make like a highlight tape of my career and just make <laughs> them watch it and be like, see, your dad wasn't always this dork. You know, <laughs> he was, you know, he did some OK things, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, it's, it's 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 fun because, you know, you're right. I, I wanted, you know, my kids to be able to look back and, you know, whether it's read the book or just be able to talk to them about the value of hard work. I would say, dedicating yourself to to accomplishing goals. I mean, I'm six foot, I'm about 200 pounds. And, you know, I wasn't, granted, I have a lot of God-given ability to play the game. But when I took the field every night, it was more of a, I've outworked and outprepared everybody on this field. So tonight I'm going to be the best player on this field. And that was the mindset I had. Um, You know, you fast forward a little bit and it was, you know, more of a never give up type life lesson. You know, I always remember the picture of the, I think it's like a crane or something with the, trying to swallow the frog and the frogs like choking the crane, not letting. And that was kind of, you know, the, when writing this book, it was, that's kind of the the life lessons I wanted to get across to like pretending I was speaking to my kids. Mm. Like if you want something bad enough, don't let anything stand in your way of accomplishing it. Uh, You know, so that was kind of what I was thinking. You know, while writing this book, is that, you know, you're going to get thrown some adversity your way at some point, whether it's, you know, small, minute type stuff or big type of adversity, like real world type adversity. So, you know, you're going to have to find a way to get through it and become stronger because of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I do want to say, because in a second, we're going to get to some questions that fans had asked on social media. And when I was going through all of these, one that I kept seeing over and over again from people around my age was to just say, like, Thank you for being such a great role model because, I mean, I was eight years old when when you came up. So there's a whole generation of kids who are now adults who grew up with you. Um, and I know it's definitely not as cool as hearing it come from your actual kids, but <laughs> on behalf of all of those kids who are now adults, um, we all got that. And your comeback was very important to all of us. So on behalf of all of those people, all of your questions are now answered. Thank you, David.
0: <laughs> you were eight years old when I got called. I know.
1: I'm sorry. I'm 25 oh now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> no, thank you.
0: And, and it should, the, the roles should be reversed. And I've said this. I think in my speech, I should be thanking, you know, the city and the fan base for you know taking me in with open arms. That I mean, that was just a relationship that that players dream of.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, so I am old now. I actually I'm gonna shift gears a little bit because this is a super important question to me.
2: Old she's twenty four, really old. Twenty
1: five. <laughs> I turned twenty five last week, but oh, uh happy lady. thank you. Uh, but so I actually I own a dog sitting and walking business now. That's my thing. So dogs are very important to me. So I saw you mention in your book, however briefly it was, that uh, Mrs. Wilpon was helping you look for places to get a golden retriever. So I must know if you got the golden retriever, and if so, tell me everything.
0: So we already have a King Charles Cavalier.
1: Oh, cute. A
0: a tricolor with the big floppy ears. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And um, she's the best. So I wanted a, I mentioned my dad was a police officer. He was in K-9 when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So we always had German Shepherds around. So I wanted a German Shepherd. Um, Molly, my wife, said, no, you know, I'll give you a big dog, but it's going to be like a lab or a golden retriever. Yeah. We have not gotten the Golden Retriever yet, oh. but I think we're going to get him or her around Thanksgiving.
1: Oh, nice. All right, That's me putting the pressure on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love Paw Patrol. You probably yes.
1: No, I know what Paw Patrol is. I have is. a
0: five-year-old. I know Paw Patrol. I used
1: to work at a daycare before I did this, so okay. I'm very well-versed so in Paw Patrol.
0: They, uh, Olivia named our King Charles Sky, oh. because of Paw Patrol. I
2: and love now that.
0: the next dog, if it's a girl, she wants to name her everest because she thinks sky and everest in the show are best friends so yeah so that's that's where we're at
1: i'm so glad i asked that question so
2: now that we're talking about kids i gotta bring this up because i didn't i wasn't gonna ask this because i thought it was kind of cheesy but i'm sitting with my daughter this morning we're having breakfast i told her you know hey you know who david wright is i was explaining to her i was doing this interview today I'm like you have any questions for david wright and she said ask him what his favorite tv show is that's is it, it Paw Patrol? so if she's watching this amelia i'm asking the question so do you have a favorite tv <laughs> show like
0: Cartoon or anything? Any, any TV? Well, let's start with cartoons. I mean, Paw Patrol is the easiest choice because, you know, selfishly, I kind of like it more than the other cartoons. <laughs> you know, it's a little more exciting. Um, we do movie night every Sunday,
1: mm.
0: and Olivia always picks the new Trolls movie. Madison, That's my two year old, always picks Frozen 2. So we alternate every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, that's what's going on as far as, uh, TV shows that I enjoy. I'd probably say my favorite TV show is Billions It's probably my favorite. Um, we are about 75% of the way through Schitt's Creek right now.
1: Mm, My friends love Schitt's Creek.
0: Um, so that's where the adult TV stands. Um. (laughs) The kids TV, but I am a huge pop Patrol
2: fan. There we Love go. It. There Love we, it. There we go, Amelia. All <laughs> right, so let's hit a few questions from social media before we let you go. Hopefully, we're not taking up too much of your time so far, but um, we got thousands of responses. So we put up a post on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter asking fans, what, if they could ask you one question, what would it be? Julia had the honor to I went through. scroll through and pick three out. I
1: just think Darren didn't feel like going through it all. Three out right. of a thousand? Yeah, a thousand. we did like one per social media platform.
2: What was it, like 600 yeah. on Instagram? Listen, I knew
1: I was going to ramble for too long, and we needed to cut this down, so it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. But the first one is from Instagram, from my friend Lexi, who is a huge fan, which she would want me to tell you. Um, and she asks, what is your favorite karaoke song or your go-to karaoke song which I know there's a chapter in the book about you doing karaoke so I felt I needed to ask
0: yeah so I would say that like it's not like I'm a huge karaoke er (laughs) is that a word (laughs) um so I'd probably say my most memorable karaoke moment happened in Montreal when I was a rookie They they dragged me to this karaoke bar in Montreal and made me sing and it so happened to be uh one of my favorite movies Top Gun you've lost that loving feeling so I'll stick with that. I'm, I'm not hiding behind that. I'm not ashamed of it. You know, I think I nailed it. You know, probably didn't. But, you know, at the time, I thought I was killing it. Yeah. And
2: unfortunately, back then, it was like maybe there was some, you know, there was everyone had cell phones, but no, people weren't as locked in. So there's probably no thank video footage of you. that.
1: Unfortunately yeah, for you. us. <laughs> yeah. Then So the next question is from Twitter user at RayNYM09. You kind of answered this a little bit before, but I'll ask it anyway. Maybe you have another, but is there one specific at-bat that stands out in your career that you wish you could go back and relive and try and change the outcome? I know you mentioned that one from, I think, 07 or 08, but are there any yeah, others?
0: The Cubs late in the season. Yeah. Um, any others? I mean, I could probably give you thousands, but, um, you know, I would say it would really would have been nice Um the, I, I wanted to, I wanted to end with a bang,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: so I'd say my last at bat, you know, would have been nice to, to get a base hit or hit something hard, you know, to be able to, um, you know, kind of put a, for me, at least an exclamation point. Um, you know, I drew a walk my first at bat in my final game, but I, you know, I really wanted to get it hit so badly that it probably hurt me because I was so amped up and wanted, wanting to put on a halfway decent show. So I would say, you know, that at bat sticks out in my mind where I wish I could have done something a little more special. Yeah.
2: You know it's funny for that game. I never bring a glove to a game, but I brought one to that one. So I was like, "I'm gonna. David's gonna he's hit a going run, going deep, and I'm gonna catch it." So <laughs>
0: well, thanks for the. You know, thanks. I guess I disappointed you. <laughs> and so,
1: thanks for making me say, play the ceremony. That that answer is only gonna make us boo Peter O'Brien more. By the way, yeah, now sure now that we know how hurt you are by it, he's never gonna he's never gonna stop hearing it. But um, final question from Facebook user Chris. Scanlon, Chris, I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Um, In your role as teammate and then captain, you've been known to support guys on the team who are struggling and slump, injured, whatever it may be. Is there a specific instance when one of these teammates made you the most proud when they bounced back or overcame a certain challenge, kind of like you did with your injury?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I can remember, um, you know, waiting out in the park. There was a group of us that came back from a road trip and... Ike Davis got called into the office because I think they were thinking about sending him down or he was really struggling. And, you know, we kind of waited for him in the parking lot, thinking that he was getting sent down, um, you know, to kind of be there for him. And, um, you know, that's the kind of things that, you know, the like we were talking about, like kind of the life things that a lot of fans don't see is that, you know, this is guy's livelihood. And it may seem like, you know, from TV that, you know, these guys are robots or – you know, they don't feel anything. But, you know, trust me when I tell you that, you know, we now they, you know, take this very personal and this mm-hmm. is you know their livelihood and take a lot of pride in what they do. So um, that was one of the more rewarding things for me is, you know, seeing a guy, whether it's in the minor leagues or break onto the big league scene and, you know, be nervous or a little scared or you know, not know what the future holds, then they have some success and to see them blossom into you know, a productive player or, or be able to make a living, you know, playing baseball and see how happy they are and how proud they are of this lifelong goal you know, was always rewarding for me having been there so long.
1: Yeah, for sure. I remember when you know, everything was going on with Ike, he hit that like walk-off grand slam. Oh, that was awesome. That was what I thought of immediately when you said that. But um, one more quick thing. I did promise Instagram user at JessicaBrook5 that I would say she misses you. I had to get that <laughs> in there. I made a promise. I'm sticking to it. She misses you. Well, thank you very much. <laughs>
2: David, we appreciate your time. I know uh, life's crazy right now. And uh, thank you for giving us, I don't know, almost an hour here. The book is called The Captain. You should absolutely go pick it up. It's available everywhere books are sold. And on a personal note, I just have to say thank you again for even just giving us a couple minutes. My wife and I, the day after uh, the speech, uh, we met up with you, gave you that big card that the fan signed and everything. And you've always went out of your way for our crew. And, um, you know, it's great that the love was, was mutual, you know, like, you know,
0: that card sitting in my office, uh, Aww. you know, displayed proudly. So I appreciate that. That's
1: well, awesome. Thank you
2: very much. That, that, and, thing is,
0: that thing's giant by the way. <laughs> so it,
2: yeah. It, my it, buddy, it, I know you can't see it over here next to me, but my buddy, Dave Majowitz, uh, Dave Madjo, uh, painted that. And, um, you it's know, awesome. we brought it to the tailgate, everyone signed it. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was great. It was, it was great to, uh, to be able to hand deliver that. And I appreciate the time. So yeah, thank you for cool. that.
0: Yeah, thank well, hopefully you next so time hopefully next time we can do it in person. Yeah, but you yeah, gotta yeah.
1: sit with us. Challenge has yeah. been extended. So yeah. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> All
2: right, man. Thank you so much. And uh, you know, enjoy the rest of your uh, your day. Appreciate it.
0: Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. That was that was a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, I
1: gotta figure out how to turn this off. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there
2: we go. Cool. All right. All right. So uh Julia, you got through it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating a little bit, so was worry. that like uh that was more than a bucket list for you that right was
1: i want to take a moment to thank you who absolutely whoa now, you, now your
2: mic's falling apart um,
1: who absolutely did not need to let me join in on this because that was completely your booking your get your thing all you but thank you so much because that was without a doubt the coolest thing i've ever done That was so much fun. Well,
2: I couldn't have asked for a better co-host to do that with because, honestly... Someone will take
1: the liberty of reading the book twice.
2: Well, none of that. Like, I wasn't fucking around when when we got on with him. You you know him probably as good as he knows himself.
1: (laughs) Well, that's that's what I, I had said a lot was... As just like force of habit, I watch every David Wright interview that ever happens. Just it fuels my serotonin. I don't know. So I have seen him get asked the same questions over and over and over again. And all I said was I just don't want to keep asking him things because he's been doing multiple interviews a day, like all week. And he's getting asked and which is fine because they're great questions and he gives great answers and it's like great. But I just if we're going to do this and he knows that I'm as annoying as I am, for lack of a better term, like I better ask something new that I don't know already. So
2: well, this is unfortunately, since the Mets didn't get it, get the job done this year, this is our season four finale. Um, I definitely want to give a, a shout out to Pete McCarthy who yes, uh, Pete. moved down to uh, North Carolina. And um, I, I'm hoping that, um, well, who knows? I'm hoping everything's yeah. going great for him, but if he ends up coming back to New York, we'll bring him back in He'll the fall. Back. But if not, you know, we'll definitely continue doing stuff with you, Julia, yeah, whether we'll it's see. orange and or blue thing or whatever, maybe it's an orange and or blue thing spinoff <laughs> in 2021. Um, you know, the Mets, they've been pushing, you know, Mets.com, buy tickets, buy tickets. Mm-hmm. We talked about this last week. Are we going to even be allowed to go back in the ballpark if we are? How are they going to split us up? Our solid section is, you know, there's no space to really split people up. But, well, I guess we'll see. But um, I put on Twitter last night, Do you? because th- last night was the last final home game right. of the season. Do you think you'll be at city field the next time they play there and what almost 2,500 people voted and 52.9% said, no, mm-hmm. that might just mean that they're not, I kind of worded it wrong. Yeah. Um, that means that they're not going, but 47.1% say that they will be there. Or they think they will be there the next time the Mets play. So only time will tell as soon as we have any kind of news to announce. I mean, I already know what the schedule is. I haven't made it public yet cause I don't want to get anyone's hopes up. Let's see what happens. If there's any kind of big breaking news that comes out soon, maybe we'll go live quickly. But as far sure. as the show is concerned, this is probably the last one. This is it. The Mets just are coming up a little short here. And um, that's that's just that's just it. So definitely don't forget get co- get for all your all your beer needs. Pick up some coors light, get it delivered. We got football seasons in. Um we Julia's just pointing as I forgot to announce the winners of last week's.
1: Got to give people their free stuff.
2: The playoffs are about to start for all teams except the Mets, and um, <laughs> you know it is what it is. So definitely stock up on your beers and don't forget to go to dugoutmugs.com/oabt, thirty percent off their entire site, and they also got those really cool bottle opener T-shirts up now and those sugar skulls. Um, you know, perfect for some pumpkin beers or anything else you want to throw in there. So um, we do have to give away some free stuff from last week. And the winners are on Twitter, at JoeDiddy99, on Facebook, Chip Heim, and on Instagram, at OrensteinJ, or OrensteinJ. Um, I know I'm a little behind in the last couple weeks on getting the gift cards out, but I will do that very soon. I appreciate your patience on that. Julia, it's been so fun so over the fun. past, what is this, like eight shows we've done together? I
1: think so. But also a reminder, share the show this week, win a free book. You definitely want to do that if you didn't hear it before. And share the if show. you're
2: listening afterwards, usually we do the we announce the winners next week. So what we're going to do is maybe I'll just do like a regular social media post in about a week. Sure. So if you're listening live, watching live or whatever, or listening afterwards in the replay, mm-hmm. you have about a week to enter. So go over to our Facebook page, share this live video. If you're on Twitter, retweet the tweet. And if you're on Instagram and you're watching the replay, Go into the comments and just write "I want that free Captain book" and we will randomly select someone. Love it. Um, yeah, and you know what? I even said to Julia, "Fuck it, let's go over an hour yeah. if we have to." But that was perfect. And perfect timing. Here we are. We are at fifty-nine seconds and eleven. Fifty-nine minutes and eleven seconds. Let's go. Enjoy your winters, everyone. <laughs>
1: Happy off season. Hopefully,
2: the world is in a better place very soon, and we can enjoy our time together and um, whatever. All right, guys. Thanks. Let's go Mets. the Don't forget us this holiday season. We have a whole bunch of new stuff coming out very soon. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you.
1: Bye.